odds are all against me. I'm ready to go, burning it down. They ain't noticed till the temperature rose. Bless the energy. Then we erupt in a blaze. Mama save us. I swear the baby's lately crazy. Hi, I'm James Anderson Foster, and you're listening to Sorceress, a weekly podcast of awesome serialized urban fantasy fiction written by amazing authors, performed for you by professional narrators, and brought to you by SerialAudio.com. It's totally binge-worthy. Chapter 25 The trip through the hotel was a hurried one. The door from the roof to the hotel proper had been locked, so Israel had forced it open, effectively shattering the lock in the process. Stone was certain this had set off some kind of alarm with the hotel security team, so he'd rushed them to the nearest stairwell. They had descended two floors before exiting into a lavishly decorated hallway lined in guest room doors. They took the elevator down to the fifth floor, then went back into the stairwell to ascend two floors, and then finally took the elevator to the lobby. When they finally made their way onto the street, Aaron said, What the hell was that? Wanted to confuse the staff in case they were tracking us with cameras, Stone said. Besides that, I also wanted to see if you would do what I told you without giving me any of that attitude you carry around with you. Aaron stopped and pointed her finger at the shorter man. Look, Stoney, she said. I told Israel, and now I'm telling you. I'll see this through to the end because I want these progeny dicks to go down for what they're doing to all these people they've taken. But after that, I'm gone. Until then, I'll follow your orders so long as you don't play bullshit games like that with me. You feel me, short stuff? Stone stared hard at her. Israel watched the lines of his jaw tighten and relax in rhythmic pattern. Fair enough, he growled. But stop calling me Stony. Deal, Aaron said. Israel turned away and looked to the strip. Mandalay Bay was at the southernmost end of Las Vegas Boulevard. To the north, Israel could see the lights and skyline of the Las Vegas he recognized from the movies. What the movies never showed, though, was the fenced-off sidewalks. Thick traffic, sparse pedestrians, and street-level construction that fronted many of the hotels. The lights glittered painfully in his eyes, and he looked back to his companions. So, he said to Aaron, this is home? She shrugged. Kind of. Nobody who isn't stupid rich really lives on the Strip, but a whole lot of people work here. I lived a few miles west of here. Her eyes met Israel's and said volumes about how that was all she needed to be reminded of. He nodded his understanding and looked to Stone. So where is this guy? On his way, Stone said. What's his story? How can he help? Stone sighed. Carter was a sentry operative about three years ago. He was on a mission that grew overly complicated and, much to everyone's surprise, was awakened. He's a paragon? Aaron asked. Stone shook his bearded head. No, just a power, a minor one at that. A what? Israel said. I thought Allison explained all this to you, Stone said. I don't remember anything about a power. Stone sighed again and scanned the busy street. Right then, we've got a few minutes to kill, so listen up. 
Awakened are grouped into what we call revealed, powers, and paragons. Revealed are those whose bloodlines are awakened and they manifest some kind of physical change that's in line with their heritage, like pointed ears for fey, slit pupils, or scaly skin for a lichen, that kind of thing. Beyond that physical change, they are exactly the same person they were prior to the awakening. The next category is for people who may or may not be revealed, but also develop an ability above and beyond that of rank-and-file humans. A lichen might be able to partially shift into a hybrid of human and animal. A mage can usually channel and manipulate small amounts of inner dark energy. An infernal might develop an immunity to fire or a way to make people abnormally open to suggestion. It just depends on the bloodline and the balance in their individual DNA. How many bloodlines are there? Israel asked. Worldwide, I'm not entirely sure. In North America, there are five that are predominant. Magi, Lycan, Fey, Infernal, and Seraphim. They were quiet for a minute while Israel and Aaron considered the information. Aaron said, All right, so if he's a big, scary necrophage, then what am I? Stone shrugged. Not a clue, love. Allison is the one you need to take that up with. If I had to guess, I'd say that you're some kind of fey we've never seen before. What you can do is like nothing I've ever heard of. What's a fey? Aaron asked. Fey is a kind of catch-all, I suppose, Stone said. Olivia tells me that the name comes from mythologies involving fairies and elves and the like. They tend to have a common look among the revealed, but can manifest in a wide, wide range of ways among the powers. I knew a fey power once who could give someone a violent case of the runs with a simple kiss on the mouth, and another who could heal a sunburn by blowing on a person's skin. Fey are very unpredictable, but tend to be centered around the natural biological world. What about this Carter Black? What's his thing? Israel asked. He's a magi. He can perform simple workings that are usually centered around the four natural elements. Most magi powers are specialized in one way or another. So why do you hate him so much? Aaron said. Stone's eyes hardened. He quit. We thought we were going to have a genuine power in the field, but he quit to chase coin instead of honor. He said a talent like his was too valuable to waste on a salary job. Aaron opened her mouth to speak, but Israel caught her eye and shook his head. She scowled a little, but complied. Not many people talk like that, Israel said to Stone. What's that? Stone said. You said, chase coin instead of honor. Not many people say things like that. Makes me wonder where you might have picked up that kind of a speech pattern. Stone shot Israel a grin. Nicely played, mate, he said. But you'll have to keep wondering. Our ride's here. As he said it, a clean white Land Rover with flawlessly polished chrome cut across a lane of traffic and came to a heavy stop in front of them. The passenger side window rolled down and a man's voice said, You need a boost up, Stone? Stone spat on the ground and said, Cheeky bastard. He gestured for Israel and Aaron to get in the back while he pulled open the door and climbed into the passenger seat. Carter Black was a lean man who looked to be in his early to mid-thirties. He was roguishly unshaven and had a head of sandy blonde hair that was styled to hang in loose curls over a forehead that topped eyes the color of a thunderstorm gray sky. 
An easy smile crossed his lips and revealed perfectly aligned teeth when he saw Aaron get in and settle into her seat. Well, hello, he said. What's your name? Aaron, she said. Now eyes on the road, cowboy. I'm closed for business. He blinked at that and nodded a greeting at Israel, but didn't ask his name. Stone settled into his seat, and Israel watched them stare one another down. He could hear them breathing, so when they spoke a few seconds later, he made out every word. Stone, Carter said. Black, Stone said. I was really surprised to get your call. Not nearly as surprised as I was to make it. Did you bring the gear I asked for? Carter nodded. Black case in the back. One MP5 and one baby Desert Eagle. I even threw in some extra ammo free of charge. Good enough. We're on a mission here, Black, so let's get moving. Carter nodded and then pulled away from the curb. He and Stone started talking in lower tones, but Israel could still hear them. After a moment, he leaned back into his seat and looked at Aaron. Can you hear them? She said. If I try, yeah. It's all business talk now. I think they're trying to keep it professional. Carter's very curious as to why we didn't have a sentry jet waiting for us when we got into town, but Stone's putting him off. I get the idea we need to keep the whole Paragon thing on the down low. Aaron nodded. Are you okay? Israel asked. Being back here and all? Aaron shrugged. I guess. Trying not to think about it. Israel nodded and turned to stare out his own window, half listening to Carter and Stone's negotiations. Fifteen minutes later, they pulled up to a private hangar at the McCarran International Airport. The hangar doors were open to the night air, and three men were guiding a tow vehicle as it pulled a large twin-engine turboprop onto the tarmac. A sign over the open hangar doors read, Desert Magic Tours and Charter. Carter got out and waved to the workers. When Aaron saw the plane, she looked at Stone and said, Tell me you're kidding. I'm afraid not. We're in a hurry. Aaron groaned. Okay, Israel said. What am I missing? Stone smiled. Oh, she didn't tell you? Young Miss Sims here doesn't like to fly. We had to put her on a rooftop in Atlanta because she was getting so ill. Really? Aaron glowered at him. Yes, really. I'd never flown before then. I didn't like it. A lot of people don't. Israel nodded and considered it for a minute. Maybe that's for the best, he said. What do you mean? Have you ever teleported from a moving vehicle before? Aaron thought about it and then shook her head. Israel said, well, assuming normal physics still applies to you at all, conservation of momentum would not be your friend. Aaron continued looking at him, obviously confused. Basically, Israel said, if you were to teleport out of a car going 100 miles an hour, then you could reappear still moving at 100 miles an hour. That could really hurt if you think about it. She did. Holy shit, she said. I never even considered that. Israel shrugged. It's something you might want to test out when you get time. Indeed, Stone said. But getting out of that plane isn't the time to find out which means my plan is flawed. I wanted to fly over Letitia and then let Aaron get us to the ground without the need to land. I'll need to work this out with Black. Do that, Aaron said, and make sure he's stocked up on barf bags.
The plane was a meticulously cared-for and maintained Cessna Conquest II with a black fuselage and silver trim. The Desert Magic logo was painted down either side in bright purple and silver letters. Carter walked around the aircraft inspecting it with a practiced eye. Israel and Aaron looked on while Stone busied himself lighting a cigar. What is he doing? Aaron said, impatience sparking her words. Pre-flight inspection, Israel said. I'd rather wait on him than fall out of the sky. Oh, it's a tad more than that, Stone said through a small cloud of cigar smoke. Just keep watching. Carter continued circling the plane with his left hand lightly trailing along its surface. As he rounded the aircraft and came into a position where Israel could see his face, he realized Carter's eyes were closed and he was slowly muttering to himself. There was no way he could be inspecting the plane like that. What the hell? Israel said. Just watch, Stone replied. As Carter rounded to the front of the plane and faced the nose cone, he placed both of his hands palm down on the fuselage and bowed his head. He stood like that for nearly a minute before anything happened. Israel watched in fascination as angled and intersecting lines started to gently glow all along the plane's hull like luminescent pearls. They rose in brilliance like lights being slowly brightened with a dimmer switch. The intensity grew just to the point of being too bright and then suddenly darkened, fading back into the plane as though they'd never been there. Carter took a deep breath and looked over at Stone. Stone nodded and said, All right, kids, all aboard. What was that? Israel said as they walked toward the Cessna. That? That was a little working that cost us an extra $5,000, Stone said, cutting his eyes at Carter. But he says it will cut a good half hour off the trip. How? Israel said as he ducked his head and boarded the plane. Carter answered him as he climbed in behind Aaron and pulled the boarding ladder into place, sealing the door. In a nutshell, I just cut down the drag on the aircraft. The spell charges a special metallic paint pattern that's underneath the regular paint. The longer I charge it, the longer it lasts. It will cut our three-hour flight down to two and a half or less. It's a little thing I worked up when I decided to get into the charter business. Charter business, Stone said. That's funny. Carter gave Stone a cold look and climbed forward to the pilot's seat with a warning for everyone to buckle up. They all sat in silence while he started the engines and talked over the headset to the McCarran Tower. Ten minutes later, they were in the air and flying south. Israel watched the lights of the Las Vegas suburbs fade into the black of the desert night as they flew. There were clouds gathering, but it didn't do anything to hamper his vision. The unlit cabin had already faded into the silver-gray variations that marked his ability to see in the dark, and with it he could tell that Stone had actually dozed off. Aaron was sitting still and silent, staring out the window and into whatever the darkness was showing her. Israel unbuckled his seatbelt and asked Carter if he could join him in the co-pilot seat. Carter waved him up with a smile. Israel settled into the narrow seat, careful not to touch anything in the process. I'm Israel Trent, he said. We didn't get to meet in the car. Carter Black, the other man replied. Sorry about that. Your girl threw me off a little. Oh, she's not my girl, Israel said. But she has a way of throwing people off, no question about that. Oh, I figured you were the reason she was closed for business. Nope, that's all her. 
Carter cast a quick look back at Aaron and said, Really? So, bad idea, Israel said. Seriously, not a good idea. Yeah? Israel nodded. Carter shrugged and said, Okay. So, how did you guys end up running with Mr. Shortstack back there? Israel smiled. You're pretty casual with the short jokes. Aren't you just a little bit worried he'll get angry and hurt you? He seems capable of that. Carter looked over at him. So you haven't seen him in action? Israel shook his head. Carter laughed. Then yes, I assure you he is way more than capable. Is this your first mission? Israel shrugged. Yeah, I guess it is. Everything's been a little crazy lately. Well, that's life with the Sentry Group. Long stretches of boredom punctuated with sudden and terrifying bursts of WTF. Is that why you quit? Carter looked at Israel and laughed. Man, you don't screw around, do you? Straight to the big questions. Israel smiled. Sorry, I was a reporter before I hooked up with Sentry. Small talk never really appealed to me. Reporter, Carter said. Sentry usually recruits from military or the cops. Why'd they snatch you up? Israel shrugged. They said I was a special case. Carter thought it over and then said, Awakened, huh? You must be a power. Something like that, Israel said. Carter nodded. How long? Israel thought about it. What he came up with surprised him. Not even a whole week yet. Wow, a newbie. What bloodline? Israel shrugged. I'm not supposed to say. Carter nodded. And there it is. The standard sentry secret keeping. Olivia really likes to keep a lid on things. The way I heard it, she kind of has to. The whole veil thing. Well, of course we don't want the rank and file of humanity to know about us. I get that. We'd end up hunted into extinction. Olivia, though, she keeps things from her own people. Only gives out as much information as she thinks is needed, regardless of whether or not her field teams disagree. Stone's the only guy she listens or talks to, and he isn't much better than her. It's bullshit. I can see that, Israel said with a small shrug. But it's for the good, right? I mean, these progeny guys are a kind of bad I thought only existed in fiction. If she's got the most experience fighting them and keeping people safe, then maybe she knows best. Carter laughed softly. Oh, keep thinking like that and you're going to make a perfect little sentry group soldier. I just couldn't do it. I got tired of being a drone for someone else's agenda, no matter how noble an agenda it might be. Look, here's the best tip I can give you. Never forget that no matter how nice and kind Olivia Warburton may be to your face, you are nothing more than an asset to her whose value scales directly with how much hurt you can put out on her behalf. She is all business all the time, man. Forget that, trust her too much, and she'll send you on a suicide mission without telling you what it is. Israel watched the clouds roll by outside the cockpit while he thought about that. So, what's the story with Stone and Olivia? He asked. Are they a thing? Well, not in a slap and tickle way, I don't think, Carter said. The story I heard was that way back when, before Olivia landed in that wheelchair, she was on a team that rescued Stone from some bad guys in Europe. She helped nurse him back to health and then hunt down the group that had held him captive. Hunt down all of them, hundreds of people. Stone and Olivia shut that entire organization down to the last man, but somewhere along the way she ended up a cripple. Holy shit, Israel said. 
He looked back over his shoulder at Stone. His beard shivered with every soft snore. He must be a lot older than he looks. And nobody knows as far as I know. He's always looked that way, even in the pictures I've seen from back in the day. There was a rustling from the back, and Israel looked over at Aaron just in time to see her seal a brown bag over her face and start heaving into it. He shook his head and tried not to smile. I'd better check on her, he said. There's some towels and stuff in the lavatory, Carter said. Dramamine, too, if she wants it. Israel thanked him and went back to see about Aaron. She tried to wave off his concern, but accepted a hand towel soaked in cold water. He sat next to her in silence for a time and eventually heard her breathing settle into sleep's steady rhythms. For the next two hours, the Cessna's passenger cabin was a portrait of stillness. Engine noise droned through the space and mixed with the sounds of Stone's and Aaron's breathing. Israel sat motionless, letting his mind wander over everything that had changed for him in the last four days. What he'd said to Aaron on the roof of the Peachtree Towers in Atlanta still weighed on his mind. He should be freaking out. He should be an emotional mess. He was the walking dead, for God's sake. What sane person didn't lose his mind over something like that? Yet he couldn't. The emotions just weren't there. It was as though his feelings were a knife whose edge had been dulled. In his mind, what he had become just was. Like looking out the window into a rainy morning. He might not like it, but accepting it was just second nature. Was this some part of the change he had gone through? Did his passions die along with his body? The plane dipped suddenly, and Carter said, Stone, rise and shine, Mr. Ponykeg. Looks like we're here. Stone was up and in the co pilot seat in a second. He and Carter started looking out the window and pointing while talking in quiet tones. Aaron had come awake when the plane dipped, and she said, What the hell was that? Israel shrugged as Carter yelled, Shit, hang on. The already dim cabin lights flickered, and the plane suddenly banked hard to the right and then down. Israel could hear the engine's pitch change as they labored against the sudden change in altitude. Aaron latched onto Israel's arm with one hand and let out a whining groan that grew in intensity as the plane banked harder and dropped suddenly, jarring them all and sending loose items clattering to the floor and against the right cabin wall. Then, without warning, the lights suddenly grew steady again, and Carter pulled the plane into a straight and level path. Israel felt no effect from the maneuvering, but Aaron shouted, God damn it, don't do that! Sorry, Carter said without looking back. Blame the bad guys. Stone joined them in the passenger compartment. His face was sculpted in hard lines of worry as he buckled in. What happened, Israel said. I don't know for sure, he said. Whatever's happening on the ground is buggering the plane's electronics. Buckle in. Carter's going to land us on a highway a click or so outside Letitia. Um, Aaron said. He's going to land a plane in the dark on a highway in the middle of the Texas desert? Don't fret, little miss. There isn't a pair of headlights anywhere in sight, and he's got some fancy military imaging stuff that'll let him see well enough. You just hold on. Military? Israel said. I said he has it, not that he was supposed to have it. Just be grateful and hang on. Aaron tightened her grip on Israel's arm as the plane started to descend. Israel expected the landing to be a more dramatic event, but aside from the highway being far more bumpy than a standard runway, it went well. 
Five minutes after Stone had joined them in the cabin, they were exiting the craft into a desert night under a thick canopy of gray clouds. Aaron was the first out and walked to the edge of the deserted highway. She bent at the waist and took deep, measured breaths. Israel and Stone stood with Carter next to the entry hatch. The engines had idled down but were still spinning with a thick sound. Stone held up his cell phone and cursed at the lack of any signal. Thanks for not crashing, Israel said. All part of the standard charter package, Carter grinned. This is U.S. Highway 67. Head south and take the first paved road you see on the right. That'll turn into Main Street, Letitia, Texas. Sorry I couldn't get you closer. Stone grunted softly. Did your best, I suppose. Ah, oh, stop it, Giggles. You're gonna make me blush. Stone glared at the man and said, You just get that message to Olivia, yeah? Tell her what's what and that I'll contact her as soon as I have a cell signal. Just as soon as I'm clear of this mess, Carter said. Stone nodded and turned away without another word. Seriously, man, thanks, Israel said. Don't thank me too much. I'm getting paid for this. Israel shook his hand and turned to go. Don't forget what I told you, Israel. Question everything they say. I'm a journalist, Israel said. Questions are what I do. Israel stood back and watched Carter seal the hatch and taxi away. It wasn't long before the plane was a blinking light disappearing into the night sky. He turned and faced his companions. He saw them in the strange grayscale of his night vision. Aaron seemed to be recovering from her nausea, and Stone looked impatient. They walked toward the black distance. Chapter 26 They had been walking down the turn off from the highway for about five minutes when Aaron said, Is it just me, or is it actually getting darker? Israel looked over at her. Is it? Oh, that's right, she said. I forgot about your fancy new eyeballs. What's that? Stone asked. He'd donned the tactical vest and weapons that Carter had secured for them. He had a handgun in a thigh holster and carried a submachine gun in an easy professional grip. Izzy here can see in the dark, one of the perks of being undead. That's right, Stone said. You mentioned that back at the Hobbit Hole. Israel explained how things appeared to him. Interesting, Stone said, and useful. Too bad you can't share it with the class. To answer the question, yes, it is getting darker. It's common around breach points, but I've never seen it on this scale. A room, yes, a small building, maybe. This, though, this is new to me. It's got something to do with ambient light wave energy being rendered null. Michelle tried to explain it to me once, but I was drunk at the time. Does that mean we're too late? Israel asked. No, it just means it's getting darker. If we were too late, things would be more dramatic than that. Israel looked toward the horizon. It did seem that the grays and silvers that he would normally see were somehow muted, but he could still clearly make out the distant buildings. I can see the town, he said. Maybe a quarter mile or so, I guess. That's great, guys, but I literally can't see the ground under my feet. Aaron said. She stopped walking and said, Shit, if I can't see where I'm going, then I'm not much good to you. I can't pull anywhere that's nearby. Guys, I'm kind of useless without that. The men stopped next to her. Can you still get us back to Las Vegas or Silver Sky if we need you to? Stone asked. Yeah, she said. 
carrying both of you was a little rough. Gave me a head rush, but I can do it. Then you're far from useless. If things go tits up for us, then you're our ticket out of here. Doesn't your phone have a flashlight app? Israel said to Stone. It does, but my phone won't even power up. Whatever's happening here is mucking up anything electronic. Israel nodded. Okay, I guess that makes me the tour guide. I suppose it does. I'll get behind you with my hand on your back. Aaron, you do the same behind me. Israel can guide us around rough parts of the road so no one breaks an ankle. Why? I mean, what good are we going to do over there if we can't see anything? Aaron asked. If this breach is as big as I think, then there will be light immediately around it. Not normal light, since it's a product of the breach, but enough to see by. Also, we just have to get through this until the sun rises. Artificial light, starlight, moonlight, these are all easier to cancel out than natural sunlight. I think it's just that there's so much of it. Still drunk when Michelle explained that part? Israel asked with a smile. Completely pissed, Stone said. Let's get moving. They took a few minutes to get into position and get a firm grip on each other's clothing. Israel guided them along at a steady but careful pace, guiding them around potholes and warning them about rougher patches that were too big to avoid. After about ten minutes of this, he called for a stop and stared ahead. Letitia was easily in view now, and he could see the general details of the small town. What do we know about this place? Israel asked. He whispered it without really knowing why. I looked up what little I could find while we were waiting for Black to prep the plane, Stone whispered back. It's just another small town that's circling the bowl. Population around a thousand, if you include the outlying ranches and whatnot. The people are mostly welfare dependents, small internet businesses, and anti-government militia survivalist types. Nothing really threatening. The place is barely surviving. What do you see? Sheer habit made him look back at Stone and Aaron. Their eyes were wide and searching the dark in vain. Nothing, really, Israel said. It's just a street running through a town. Looks like a stereotype, almost. No intersecting roads, but there are some cars parked on the street. Thing is, there are no lights, no people, no anything. No signs of life at all. Oh, good, Aaron whispered. At least it's not creepy as hell. Let's make the comments useful ones, Stone said. Israel had to suppress a laugh when he saw Aaron flip him off with her free hand. What do you think, Stone? Israel asked. I think that's a hell of a spot for an ambush, but the progeny would be just as blind as we are. I also think the weapon I'm carrying is useless if I can't see who I want to shoot, and I think going around the town will be risky at best since we don't know the lay of the land, which reminds me, and I should have asked this sooner, but are either of you armed? I'm not, Israel said, but I'm not much good with a gun anyway. Aaron, you've got one, right? Not anymore, she said. John and his little stable of jerk-offs took it. I didn't think to get it back before I sent them away. So, Stone said with a heavy tone, we're two-thirds blind, we're going into a situation we have next to no intel on, and we have one weapon between us. Brilliant. To be fair, Israel said, Aaron and I aren't exactly helpless. No, but she can't see what she's touching, and you turn into a monster if you exert yourself too much. No offense intended. None taken. So what do we do? 
I'd love to just wait this out until sunrise, but we just don't have that kind of time. So we keep moving, slow and steady. Israel, you need to be as aware as you can. Sounds, smells, everything. If the progeny have figured out a way to see through this, then we're in deep trouble. Pick a side of the street and stick to it. Use alleys if you can, but try to keep something between us and the opposite side of the street. If there are riflemen on any of these buildings, let's not make it any easier for them. Also, we need to keep an eye out for any light sources. They could be a hint as to where they're doing this thing. What if it's underground or something? Aaron said. Then we're right fucked, aren't we? Stone said. Just look for anything that might give us a hint. They all agreed and resumed walking. They reached the edge of town and Israel guided them onto the cracked and pitted sidewalk that ran along the right side of the street. They moved slowly and kept tight grips on one another's clothing. Aaron and Stone's breathing was a pulsing rhythm in Israel's ears. So the squid head that came at them from out of the darkness was nearly on top of them before Israel heard its feet slapping the ground. The thing ran at them from somewhere on the other side of the street and jumped onto the hood of a car where it launched itself high into the air, fingers opened like claws, dark violet eyes glowing with faint light, and black tentacles fanned out from its head like a hideous crown. It descended toward Israel like a leaping jungle cat, intent on rending its prey. Israel caught it in mid-flight by its throat and crotch and redirected its momentum, throwing it into the side of a building ten feet away. It hit the weathered brick with a crunch of bone, fell to the sidewalk, then rolled to its feet with feline grace. What is it? Stone said, alarm hardening his words. Squidhead, Israel said. What? Aaron said, an edge of fear in her words. Squid, the rest of what he said was drowned out when the monster opened its mouth and screamed. The sound was far louder than it should have been and had no quality that was even remotely human. Israel watched as twin lights started appearing at windows and in doorways up and down the street. Somewhere, a low hissing started, and it was joined by similar sounds as more and more of the monsters noticed the three newcomers to Letitia. Oh, fuck, Aaron said. I agree, Stone said. The thing that had first attacked them rushed toward Israel again, it got three steps before there was a rapid trio of gunshots and its head snapped backward amid a spray of gore and black ooze. Israel looked back and saw Stone lowering the sub-gun from his shoulder. Glowing eyes make for good targets even in the dark, he said, but we really need to get off this street. The sound of gunshots faded and was replaced by a chorus of inhuman screams and the sound of dozens of running feet. Squidheads came at them from every door and window they could see. Israel tried to rush forward, but felt the dragging weight of Stone and Aaron behind him. The first of the creatures reached him, and Israel met the charge by snapping his fist into the thing's face with lightning speed. He felt something give under the blow, and the monster staggered backwards, but righted itself and came at him again, tentacles whipping in a frenzy and its jaw hanging at a loose angle. Israel, keep us together, Stone ordered. Aaron, do what you did back at the mansion. Aim for the eyes. Israel watched as the monsters rushed toward them from every direction. There was a solid wall behind them, but doors were opening on their side of the street, and the former residents of the small town were coming out on either side of Israel and his blinded friends. 
Stone's weapons stuttered out three-round bursts with mechanical efficiency, muzzle flashes momentarily lighting up the black and showing Israel his friend's faces in full color. Aaron screamed a profanity as one of the things ran at her and suddenly vanished as she shoved her hand against its face. Israel scanned the street with desperate eyes. The squidheads were moving fast in their direction. It wouldn't take more than a minute before they were overwhelmed. Stone, Aaron screamed. We need to leave. We need to leave right fucking now. No, Israel shouted. He pushed Aaron and Stone against the wall and said, Stone, give me your lighter. What? Lighter, man, no time. Israel, what are you doing? Aaron said in a voice thick with panic. Stone pulled out his lighter and Israel snatched it from his hand. Aaron, keep your eyes straight ahead and up. I'm heading for a rooftop. Look for the light. Stone's weapon roared again and a body skidded to a dead stop at Israel's feet. Israel stepped over it and ran toward the opposite side of the street. A squidhead rushed in at him, screaming, but she'd been a petite young woman in life, so he just shoved her in the sternum and threw her away from him. She collided with a plate glass window nearly thirty feet away. The glass ruptured into a web of cracks and the squidhead bounced to the sidewalk. By the time it regained its footing, Israel had torn a sleeve from his hoodie, lit the fabric with Stone's lighter, and was waving it over his head and shouting, Come and get it, it's feeding time, you ugly bunch of bitches. The tactic worked better than he had hoped. The majority of the monsters that had been running for Aaron and Stone veered from their paths and headed toward Israel. He dropped the burning fabric strip and saw at least fifty squid heads rushing at him amid a chorus of furious, hungry screams. Well, shit, he said and started running for the tallest building in his path with monsters screaming at his back. A squidhead leapt over a car and hit the ground in front of him. It rushed forward, arms extended to try and grapple with him, but Israel hit it at full speed and the thing was knocked backwards into the car it had just vaulted. The impact was hard enough that the thing's head shattered the driver's side window and snapped backwards with enough force to break its neck. The monster slid unmoving to the ground. Israel didn't see it. Six of the squid heads had converged in front of him and were coming at him head on. At least ten more were coming from his right, and he could only guess how many were behind him. He veered hard to his left and dodged around a group of monsters that were coming around another parked car. He heard two gunshots echo through the night, and underneath that, Aaron shouting his name. Israel turned toward the sidewalk and found what he was looking for. A short distance ahead of him was an old movie theater with a weather-worn marquee mounted on top of a small overhang that completely covered the sidewalk. It was lower than the roof, but still higher than the monsters could reach without climbing. The only obstacle was the twenty or so squid heads running toward him from beneath it. Another burst from Stone's weapon echoed through the black. Israel sprinted toward the theater and jumped. He sailed up and over the oncoming monsters. He felt fingertips and cold tentacles slap at his shoes as he cleared them, enough so that it threw off his trajectory and he hit the overhang roof and fell forward off balance. He was on his feet instantly, though, and climbing to the theater's roof with frantic motions. With a curse, he realized he had dropped Stone's lighter. It only took a moment for him to see it lying next to the edge of the roof where he'd fallen. He took three quick steps to retrieve it when... Suddenly, two hands and four thin tentacles appeared on the edge of the roof and heaved their owner over the edge like a hideous jack springing from its box. 
This particular squid head had been a large man in life, and he surged toward Israel with blazing violet eyes and hideous black lines curling into his mouth and nostrils. He hit him hard enough that Israel was lifted off his feet and skidded to a stop at the far edge of the overhang. He landed face down and saw dozens of hands and slashing tentacles reaching for him from a pool of faces that were slavering and insane. Stomping feet rushed at him on the overhang, and under that he heard another scream from Aaron. Israel rolled to his back just as a booted foot came down in the spot where his spine had been a moment before. Rather than try to rise, Israel hooked the monster's ankle with the nearest arm and then half-punched, half-shoved the creature high on the back of its thigh. The creature flipped forward and fell off the overhang and onto its monstrous cousins below. Other hands started to appear on the far edge, and Israel scrambled forward and grabbed the lighter, shoving it into his pocket as different squid heads started fighting each other for dominance at the lip of the overhang. Without looking back, Israel climbed onto the theater roof and ran to the adjoining building. The theater shared a wall with another building that was a full three stories tall. It was an old brick structure that had large windows at every floor. Wasting no time, Israel went to the wall and jumped as high as he could. He rose into the air and, for just a moment, thought he'd made the jump, but suddenly lost his upwards momentum. He grabbed at the edge of the brick rooftop but missed and fell back to the theater roof. He landed solidly and managed to keep his footing. Behind him, he heard the scrape of claw and boots on the asphalt roof. Without looking, he tensed his legs and leaped again as hisses and shrieks came at his back like a nightmare chorus. This time, he snagged the edge of the roof with his fingers and managed to clamber over onto the adjoining building's rooftop. He spared a moment to glance back down at the theater roof and saw a dozen or more squid heads trying in desperation to follow him, but none of them seemed to be able to make the jump. Israel looked across the street as he pulled out the lighter. They were coming at stones so quickly that he'd abandoned trying to shoot the monsters and was instead just clubbing them with his weapon stock as they got close. Aaron was slapping at squid heads in a furious frenzy and making them disappear, but there were so many that Israel thought that it would only be seconds before they'd be completely overrun. He ripped the other sleeve from his jacket and lit it, cursing the fabric for burning so slow. Once it was burning, he waved it over his head and screamed, Aaron, Aaron, up here! He kept waving, kept screaming, kept hoping against hope that whatever crazy physics was running this place would let her see the light. The monsters that had abandoned chasing him had chosen easier prey and joined the assault on Israel's friends. One moment he was watching them fight for their lives, the next all he could see was silver and gray squid heads swarming like piranha. Israel screamed with a rage he'd never felt before. Suddenly, there was a hard thump from behind him and he whirled, ready to tear whatever had come for him limb from limb. Aaron and Stone were lying on the rooftop, tangled up in a mix of limbs, torn clothing, and bloodied faces. Aaron rolled off Stone and looked around, eyes wide with panic and angry tears. Israel, she said. Here, he said. We're okay for now. You did it. Aaron scrambled to her feet and reached out for him. He touched her hand and she grabbed him in a fierce hug before sobbing softly into his chest. Below them, in the dark, the monsters raged on.
Thanks for listening this week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Sorceress as much as we enjoy bringing it to you. Remember to come back next week or subscribe at SerialAudio.com so you never miss a new episode. You can learn more about this podcast and other serialized fiction shows by visiting our website at SerialAudio.com. That's all one word, SerialAudio.com, where you can subscribe to this and our other shows via RSS, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast players. While you're at it, if you're enjoying this podcast, we'd love it if you'd share it with your friends. Even better, if you have a few spare seconds, leave a review on iTunes. To help support this show, sign up as a patron at patreon.com slash serial audio. You'll get early access to episodes ad-free and special bonuses like behind-the-scenes author and narrator interviews. Thank you again from all of us at SerialAudio.com. It's totally binge-worthy. Cause we warriors. Cause we warriors. Let's